All right, as we round out our broadcast here this morning, a final half hour of the show upon us, and Yael Lasowski joins us every Friday morning inside this 9 o'clock hour with the Consumer Choice Radio Program, which airs on Saturdays here on the Big Talker FM at 10 a.m. Yael, back in North Carolina, of course, for a couple of weeks now. Have you enjoyed the Tar Heel State as much as you thought you were going to as you ascended upon the states with your mask on and your two-year-old wearing the the mask for the entire eight and a half hour flight. Are you enjoying your time here in America uh, the way you thought you would be here two weeks in? Yeah, definitely, Joe. I didn't think I'd be in the center of the zombie apocalypse and uh, be seeing the the craziness that's happening out at the gas stations, particularly bad out here in Charlotte. But yeah, it's been a great time. I mean, the sun's out. We've got uh, plenty of good weather. Even I was able to hit the mini golf course yesterday something I would not be able to do back in Austria. So definitely a, a great time here, having a, having a great, lovely time here in the Old North State. Well, it's great to have you, and I know that, in fact, you'll be in our neck of the woods uh, moving into this time next week. We really look forward to you know, getting back in touch uh, face-to-face, getting the kids together, and uh, it should be a grand old time and uh, show you the ins and outs of the port city. Hopefully uh, the weather will cooperate. I mean, it hasn't rained in you know, like eight months, so I'm thinking you know, storms all next week as you, as you come to the coast. <laughs> oh well that's not good uh, the whole point is to go to the beach and to try to do the program from out to the beach but what do i know no uh, and uh, we hope uh, that the uh, uh, the weather gods and mother nature cooperates the way it has uh, for the better part of this spring we've enjoyed a great spring as far as you know the temperatures and the weather goes and we hope that carries over into the hurricane season really uh, you know stay away uh, uh, from these uh, storms but uh, you know, as we move through this week as you mentioned the, the zombie apocalypse uh, well governor cooper today will hold a news conference at 1:30 to give an update on his executive orders. Of course, this comes one day after the CDC issues new guidelines saying that fully vaccinated people do not need to wear masks outdoors or indoors uh, in most areas. Uh, Freedom is near. We've been tasting it for a while, Yael, based on the states that I have traveled to. And I hate to be one that uh, steps uh, and uh, bumps my head with authority and call me irresponsible if you want to. I haven't really been listening to these guidelines uh, for, for and these executive orders for months. Uh, you know, and I guess anyone, folks have their own opinion on that. But uh, you know, I've been assessing risk as I see it. I've been you know obliging uh, the businesses that want me to mask up. But for the most part, uh, it's gone on deaf ears for the better part of the last three four months since I really started to travel to the more freedom loving states like Florida, Texas, or the state of Georgia. Uh, down here in Alabama. Uh, what do you make out of all this uh, this past week uh, with the new CDC guidelines? Well, you're definitely not wrong. I think most people have kind of followed their own rules, and CDC guidelines are just that. They're guidelines. And what has been so problematic of all of this is that they're so late with many of this stuff. And there, there's an interesting paper that came out at MIT uh, recently, this is, I think this will be a good nugget there for your listeners, Joe. They, uh, they had a couple of researchers who infiltrated a so-called skeptic COVID community, and they looked at, you know, anti-maskers and the like, and they actually found that people who are in these communities and share information online are actually very, very scientifically literate. Uh, they think in, in very, we'll say, structured ways. They actually read studies. They cite evidence. They use graphs. 
and it surprised the ivory tower researchers over there at MIT because they actually said that people who say follow the science, follow the science actually have something of a, a religious dogma that they're following, whereas the people who are more skeptical of many of the measures that we've seen are actually following scientific reasoning because science is not just an institution, it's a process. And it's really fascinating to see that the CDC is just totally lacking. And, you know, you can go back years. I've written articles about the FDA and CDC and just how terrible they've been on all kinds of health issues because they're a political organization. We might think that they're a, a prime health agency, uh, but they're a political actor more than anything else. And they're not very good at communicating scientific principles, but somehow the skeptics have been. It's really fascinating to see there's been great writers who've covered you know, the differences in the lockdown states where things work and don't work. Uh, you have places like Michigan that have been locked down the entire time but have had various case spikes. There's all kinds of stuff that's happening in the background there that... Whoa, yeah, boy. Uh, turn it up. The, all this kind of stuff really makes us wonder, what is the role of science now? And if this people at the CDC are now coming out and telling us something that we knew months ago... Yeah, that doesn't really breed much confidence. And I think that's the more problematic aspect of all of this is that they assume that we're all just waiting on bended ear for what politicians would say. Most people have made up their own mind. They've actually done their own research and reading. I mean, when people were locked in, uh, a lot of people did a lot of research <laughs> and and uh, they're able to decipher for themselves. That's the greatest part about you know, being an individual and being free. We live in a society where we can make our own decisions. That's what being a you know, consumer choice activist is all about, and it goes with science as well. So too, really too late for the CDC. They should have told us this from the very beginning. What they're doing is is really just trying to play around with incentives. It's another version of the noble lie, telling us not to wear masks, telling us this and that. There's so much out there that really is trying to just manipulate us and motivate us when they should just give us the truth, give us the facts, I mean, I've been reading about this stuff and the studies in Israel for months, uh, but all of a sudden Joe Biden says it's okay. I think that that's problematic, and let's just treat Americans like they're a bit smarter uh, than they uh, have so far treated us. I'd say the other thing, Joe, um, that I've noticed uh, looking at particularly the, the stuff that's happening in Capitol Hill, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, a lot of the conversations between uh, Dr. Fauci and Senator Rand Paul. Uh, this is a, a broader topic. It's that of the lab leak hypothesis and questions about how the uh, National Institutes of Health may have actually funded some research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, your favorite institute. And uh, there's a very good back and forth that took place there in one of the Senate committees. And we learned a lot about manipulation of, of statements, about what true science is. Um, there's all kinds of, of debate about whether or not this did come from a lab, whether it was found in nature. And the World Health Organization has not really conducted any good study of this. They've been very bad at trying to get access because the Chinese Communist Party have cut them off. Absolutely no surprise. So it's this kind of stuff that I think really keeps the skepticism very high amongst American people. Uh, people are actually pretty intelligent. They're able to follow this stuff. If we treat them as adults uh, instead of little kids, I think we could uh, go very far. Yeah, we're having a little uh, issue hey, here. Hey, no worries. I'm good to go. 
the other thing with this, with uh, the Fauci, is the entire conversation hinged on what they called the gain-of-function research. And this is where Fauci kind of, he did a faux pas. You can see with the funding of this, uh, Dr. Fauci said in the committee and reiterated, and, and many of you, if you're on uh, social media, Facebook or Twitter, you've seen the the memes that have come out from this. He says that his institute, National Institute of Health, did not fund gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That's a kind of wordplay because the NIH did fund research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology specifically related to coronavirus and bats. And the reason that he uses the gain-of-function uh, sort of, of tagline, and that's a bit confusing for people, but all it means is that you take a virus that's not dangerous and you soup it up so that it does become dangerous and infectious. And that's what they were doing, and that's what the NIH was funding. They had a subcontractor doing that. So it's, it's a bit of a, a strange turnaround and uh, rhetorical tools there used by Dr. Fauci. It's kind of unfortunate. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that really makes people skeptical of what our, our public officials and politicians and chief scientists say. Uh, so whether it's TK or Joe, I hope you agree with me a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And you know, thank you for carrying the conversation for a minute so we can get some of this technical stuff uh, uh, sorted out. And you're referring, of course, to the back-and-forth exchange uh, that Senator Rand Paul had with uh, Dr. Fauci here earlier this week. And, uh, you know, it's it's amazing. It's uh, one of those things where, you know, even at the highest levels uh, and uh, even, you know, in some cases the lowest levels uh, of our government and the bureaucracy that runs our country, they are so uh, hesitant and uh, you know, unwilling to, you know, step out and, and admit mistakes or, you know, push us into a direction where, you know, you say, hey, you know what, maybe we got it wrong and uh, let's, uh, you know, shore this up so we can, you know, make sure the next time around uh, that we're better prepared and equipped to, to handle the situation, to provide accountability and transparency and openness to the American people. Uh, when we talk about, you know, how many millions of lives have been impacted by this, uh, you know, global issue for the past uh, 14, 15 months, you know, just maybe a little willingness to admit, uh, you know, wrongdoing or overlooking something could go a long way with the way in which, you know, you, me and, and the general public, you know, see a certain situation and how it plays out. Yeah, and ma many months ago, if you had mentioned the lab leak hypothesis, the idea that the COVID uh, virus uh, originated in the lab and then somehow escaped, uh, you know, that was seen as kooky many months ago, but there are actually more mainstream reports now featured in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. Uh, you are seeing additional research that's come out from Nicholas Wade, who's a former science reporter at the New York Times. He had a great post over on Medium. I know we talk about that on Consumer Choice Radio, but it's this kind of thing to where, you know, just because there's this kind of situation doesn't mean that everyone's going to interpret it badly. Give us the facts. Give us the truth. Um, you know, no one is alleging that anyone did this on purpose, but if it did leak out of the lab accidentally or otherwise, that's a big deal. That means that the entire year of everything that we've dealt with can be pinned on the Chinese Communist Party, on all of their scientific practices. Uh, you know, we don't need to go far <laughs> to look at different examples where they've led the world astray. And this has been terrible for all of us. It's been terrible for all of our mental health, our physical health, uh, our families, people we know who might have passed. 
I mean, that is a big deal. And I think it's unfortunate that we're not able to discuss it more openly. And uh, we, we have to, you know, kind of bow down to whatever science is when we know that science is a process, it's a, a sector of reasoning, it's not an institution, it's not just a person that you trust, it's a process, it's a way of learning. And what I have loved to see in the last year is that we have normal, ordinary Americans, you know, who might work uh, turning wrenches during the day, but at night they research this stuff, they read it, and in a way we can all become mini-scientists. So I kind of like that revolution. Well, and with that said, I mean, you know, just the ability to access information and so many different viewpoints uh, rather than what, you know, many years ago, you, you were given what you were told through, you know, the traditional papers or, you know, the nightly newscast. And that was about it. Uh, maybe a radio update here or there, you know, the ability for Americans to siphon through so many, you know, different pieces of material research from, you know, all walks of life, from all sorts of experts, you know, I think ultimately, you know, when you're given the information, it allows you to assess a situation in a, in a much better way and then act accordingly. And I think, you know, we've highlighted this for the better part of the past year. And, uh, you know, it's good to see that we're moving the needle forward. Uh, one last interesting point that was made during this exchange this week that we're highlighting between, uh, you know, two New York Fauci and, uh, you know, Senator Paul was uh, the fact that he mentioned North Carolina as being one of those places where scientists are working with uh, viral diseases and manipulating, in some cases, these diseases uh, you know, to go along with what we're seeing in China, for instance. You know, a lot of this uh, scientific research is being done right here in North Carolina, and you'd think we, we'd want to be privy to this sort of information. Yeah, we want to know what's happening up there in Chapel Hill. You know, it's not just basketball games and uh, football stadiums. You know, there's actually a lot of research that is pretty risky. And it is true that it is risky. And in most circumstances in the United States, we've been pretty good at making sure that we have all the procedures to make sure all that stuff is locked in and doesn't leak out. Uh, but could it be that in Wuhan, China, that did not happen and it unleashed this plague on the world? Uh, we don't know. The World Health Organization reports have, have given us absolutely nothing. Uh, the leaders in that organization are covering up for the CCP. Thankfully, there are a lot of people who are petitioning and, and trying to get that open. But, yeah, to know that in North Carolina, right in our, our beautiful state, uh, there, there's this kind of connection to the origin of the coronavirus is, yeah, it's somewhat fascinating. There's always something interesting where North Carolina is injected in the conversation. That's why... You know, no matter where I go in the world, people still know all about North Carolina. They know all about this place. And uh, hopefully it's only for good reasons, though. It's, you know, our great breweries and our beach and our mountains, uh, not necessarily our coronavirus research in our laboratories. <laughs> I mean, and re really, you look at North Carolina as a whole, obviously a booming state, uh, you know, mountains to the coast, everywhere in between. But Charlotte, of course, banking hub. You've got uh, the Triangle, which research, scientific research, technology uh, when it comes to you know the tech industry. Apple expanding here. You've got the military installations, uh, you know, on the eastern side of I-95 and Fort Bragg and Camp Lejeune. I mean, you've got everything all packed into one, basically, uh, that uh, spreads across the United States. You know, within one state here in North Carolina, you know, it makes it for a very interesting conversation when you add all these entities and, uh, you know, when you really think about this type of thing from a grand scale, just, you know, how much we influence uh, the rest of the country and, and around the world as just one uh, state of the union. Yeah, and I think, I mean, your favorite company, Amazon, you know, setting up shop uh, outside of Raleigh 
you know, with its own large warehouse and office. I mean, that that's great to see. And I know that many years ago, uh, I had friends who were talking about North and South Carolina as kind of a prime tech hub. I think for the moment you have Texas that's kind of taken that uh, or maybe Miami. But I think North Carolina still has its time to shine, you know, as bad as our housing prices are lately. And I know they've gone up and I know that uh, the Len with Ben show, they've covered that and some of the other guests you've had on the program all week, Joe. Uh, it is true. Uh, just in the last you know, three years, looking at houses across at least the Charlotte area, price is going crazy. But there's a lot of people moving in. There's a lot of these uh, you know, northern license plates, the snowbirds moving in. And I really don't blame them. I mean, uh, I did very much the same thing 20 years ago. So uh, I'm not one to talk, but uh, it, it's great to see in our state. And that's why I can't wait to get out to the beach, get out to Wilmington, uh, see the beautiful downtown, see the, the beautiful beaches as well. I mean, it's just a great part of our state I'm able to enjoy. And uh, it's just a couple of hours away. And, and hopefully there won't be as many people out on the road because they don't have gas. So I can just uh, truck it there to Wilmington and get there in two hours flat. Well, let me ask you about that because, uh, you know, okay, you, along with, uh, you know, folks that have just, uh, you don't need a lot, you don't need to be versed a ton in, you know, economics and the ways in which, you know, our economy runs, uh, you know, and how consumers consume. Uh, but yeah, literally a 101, I think, uh, economics class uh, would, uh, you know, basically give you enough uh, knowledge and, uh, you know, fuel to oppose some of the things that we've seen gone on over the past week in regards to this uh, you know, mess of a situation with the gas supply. Uh, transportation issue, not a gas shortage, which led to all of this. Uh, the state declares an emergency along with others. Uh, you put in the anti-price gouging laws, and uh, next thing you know, you know, all hell has broken loose. How are, and why do you defend uh, you know, the ability for private companies to spike their prices in these sorts of situations? Why is that actually a good thing for the consumer as compared to what we saw play out over the past week? This has been with every single disaster. We've kind of seen these scenarios. And, you know, if you're a governor, if you're someone like Roy Cooper, your primary messaging on this should be to calm the people down, you know, to promote rationality. But to just say, hey, price gouging is illegal. And uh, I know that Senator Tom Tillis, he's actually introduced uh, anti-price gouging legislation up there in D.C., so we know how he feels about that. The entire point about price gouging, which is, again, a terrible term and evokes all kinds of negative emotions, is that it's just about adequate price for the supply. And when we're in, our, when we're in a situation where we have price controls, uh, we should always, always be skeptical. If we know that there's not that much gas, then that means that the price has to go up. That means that it is a scarce commodity and the prices should be allowed to float. If we keep them artificially low, all that does is it encourages hoarding. It encourages those people with, you know, big containers or plastic bags or I mean, I've seen people with, you know, huge Rubbermaid containers, which is absolutely the most ridiculous thing. You're encouraging that behavior by saying, "Hey, the price cannot go above you know the the rate that it was two weeks ago at whatever two seventy five or whatever it might be, that just means you're giving an incentive to everybody to go out, even if they have three fourths of a tank, they don't even need the gas. They're going to go out and they're going to get more. This is the kind of stuff that is just really backwards. And this is how you create shortages. This is how you create Venezuela. This is how you have empty store shelves. I, I didn't think we needed to learn this lesson again after the toilet paper debacle of last year. 
but it seems we do. And, uh, you know, this is not the, always the, the prettiest point to make, but you can't repeal economics in an emergency, no matter what. And I think that's something that I, I hope our, our governor um, gets gets the lesson from uh, a lot of people. Perhaps he's listening in on this program and he can learn a bit. Uh, but that's not really where we got to focus. Let's focus on ways that we can uh, get the people out there, that we can repair this stuff and make sure that we have adequate pricing because prices are just signals. And if those are distorted, uh, it just gives everybody an incentive for bad behavior. Well, like you said, kind of the, the negative connotation of, uh, you know, the phrase that is used when we talk about price gouging, it means, uh, you know, it seems as if, you know, you've got predators out there, the evil private entities and, and companies that are rising the price on a scarce commodity, as you mentioned, when in reality, as you said, what it does is actually prevent a, a lot of the things that we've seen play out, yet all lawmakers from both sides of the political aisle uh, continue to move forward with this, you know, archaic way of uh, thinking, despite what many people like yourself, uh, you know, tell us that when we get into these situations. If it was, say, $7 a gallon of gasoline, uh, you know, Joe Bob out there with his plastic container at 10 gallons wouldn't be sitting at the gas station filling it up. I mean, it's just, it, it really just makes a lot of sense. Yet, uh, I guess sense, uh, and when we talk about common sense, doesn't necessarily play out when we talk about our elected officials at some of the highest levels. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's this kind of stuff that really gets us scratching our heads. And then we realize that politicians are no more experts than we are. And they have to try to, they have to, try to account for the madness of the crowds. Uh, but giving people bad incentives, yeah, they're going to do bad stuff. Um, you know, maybe instead of... Uh, you know, saying that we need to be masked up and vac all of this, if we just had a lottery like Ohio, you know, if we just offered vaccinations at breweries more and more like we're seeing across the state, vaccinations would not be a problem at all. North Carolina is doing pretty much okay, but we have to think about incentives. We have to think about what we can do for policy to get people to do the right thing. Uh, this is nudging. You know, it's not a new concept. People have won Nobel Prizes on this stuff because it, it is really fundamental to how our economy works and how consumer choices work. Uh, but, but yeah, not always the best uh, decisions being made out of Raleigh. Not at all a surprise to many of your listeners who've been tuned into your show uh, the last couple of years. Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center with us here this morning. Yael, uh, that, that brings us to a, another topic uh, that has been uh, hitting the world this week uh, surrounding uh, a well-known entrepreneur in our country uh, by the name of Elon Musk. And I know you're a cryptocurrency uh, fan. I don't know much about it, frankly. So I'm going to give you uh, the red carpet here to take us through uh, this whole situation where you know stocks tumbled this week as it relates to uh, the crypto Bitcoin and uh, the viewpoint that Elon Musk has on this, uh, you know, whole new way of, uh, you know, investing, uh, you know, financially, kind of give us the backdrop, uh, give me the one-on-one, because I'm not very well-versed on this whole situation. Well, we've, we've had for the better part of uh, probably a year or two years, Elon Musk, uh, CEO of Tesla, uh, CEO of SpaceX, of Starlink, a number of companies. Uh, he's made himself into a crypto fanboy, talking about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Dogecoin and the rest. And even, I think, the more important part for your listeners, actually, in Tesla, they bought Bitcoin as a reserve in the company. You know, so it's as if the big talker went out and bought Bitcoin and kept it on the balance sheets. And he did that months ago. You know, it's caused the 
market to go up. The the price of a Bitcoin, you know, is hovering around sixty thousand dollars. When I remember back in my day, Joe, it was about two hundred bucks. <laughs> but uh, you know, you have this positive movement. People who are using decentralized currencies, going outside the traditional banking system, and then all of a sudden, Elon Musk says, "You know what? I'm actually really concerned about the environment." Uh, all this Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining they do on those computers, uh, it's actually increasing global health, uh, global gases and emissions. Uh, I'm actually really concerned. Uh, so we're not going to accept Bitcoin anymore. And that obviously caused the, the price to tumble 20%. The way that I see it is this is not new information. Uh, this is kind of the Elon Musk way of playing with many of consumers and regulators and everything related to climate change and carbon credits. Uh, there's a lot to be learned there. You know, carbon credits are something that we're we're studying a lot more at Consumer Choice Center just because it's a it's crazy market offsets and the like. There might be some of your listeners who are very attuned to this, uh, but pretty unfortunate because I think uh, cryptocurrencies are great. They're an amazing innovation that do allow people who don't have bank accounts or people to send money without very little cost. I think that's a great innovation in our age, uh, but to see Elon Musk kind of playing this game yeah he, he looks more and more like a politician every day which is kind of concerning for a guy who you know at times is the richest man in the plan on the planet uh, but I just for your listeners to know a lot of the chicanery when it comes to climate change and uh, carbon taxes that's going to be a big focus so we've definitely got our eye on that for the moment Yael Wasowski with the Consumer Choice Center joins us every Friday morning to, to round out our program. He, along with David Clement, hosts the Consumer Choice Radio Show, and it airs on our station at 106.7 FM, The Big Talker, on Saturdays at 10 a.m. And, uh, heck, uh, Yael, next week uh, you'll be with me in studio, hopefully, uh, for your trip uh, to the coast, and we look forward to that. I can't wait. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Until then. That's our friend Yael Lasowski once again with the Consumer Choice uh, Center, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. You can find out more about the issues uh, that uh, they follow uh, and uh, write about on a daily basis on their website at consumerchoicecenter.org, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice.